Hello, students, and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today we're going to talk about the second half of Messiah Complex, Ed Brubaker and team's triumphant end to the decimation era of the X-Men. Welcome back to another week of talking about these mutants. Um, as a reminder, why do I do this show? I'm trying to get people to get an entry point into reading X-Men comics again. I'm an evangelist for really reading comics. If you like the MCU, if you like any of the X-Men movies, if you like the cartoons, I guarantee you there's at some point in the comics that you could find something you'll like, but I understand it's a hard task to get into to become a current fan. There's 60 plus years of stuff going on and I'm here to help by being like, okay, here's a good jump on point and not only am I going to give you a good like point to, to read from, I'm I'm going to give you context. I'm going to give you background. I'm going to talk through with you. I'm maybe even help you understand like the themes and little undertones of the X-Men a little bit better. Um, at least according to me, I'm not an expert. I'm not a literary genius. I'm not anybody. I'm just, I'm just a guy who's been reading them since he was seven and is now very old. Um, but, uh, you know, with Messiah complex is just a great example for this. And, and I forgot until I reread it, how well one enjoyable this story is it's fun it involves everybody and their mother um it's a great use of the crossover event mechanic which can't be said for every time they pull that trigger um it's also so vitally important to the history of the x-men and in a good way uh a lot of times you know just because comic book creators go like we're gonna change things up is not always for the best is not it's not always for the best a good example in my humble opinion is actually the era that preceded messiah complex it's understandably difficult to write for these comics and so i'm not going to make it sound like i know how to write the x-men i don't i don't at all. i know how to read them that's about it um but i do have crit criticism on what often can you know lend to a good or bad era of the x-men um and i find after reading them for so long that when you leave the audience like myself in a pit of despair and tragedy for too long or you make these mutants lose too much it can become let's call it a struggle a struggle to keep up with them a struggle to enjoy them like you want to you need wins you need good times you need character development you need you need just you know to be able to enjoy reading these comics and sometimes when people get a little bit too tragic it become a little bit of a slog i mean we're kind of experiencing that a little bit right now like this is today is you know december of 2023 and uh we're kind of going through an era called the fall of x i've talked at length about the Krakoan era, the House of X, Powers of Ten era that Jonathan Hickman shot up into into history in 2019. And we're kind of like, we're over the hump of that. And we're on the downhill trend of that part. And we're kind of in this transitionary point, which is, you know, a common, you know, return to the norm that happens with the X-Men and all comic books. It's, you can't be, you can't be writing winners for forever. You can't write bangers 100% of the time. That's not how art works. And I understand that. But right now we're kind of in this thing called the fall of X. And it's, hard to enjoy everything about it i'm not saying it's impossible and i'm not saying there's not great things happening i'm not saying there's not great titles going on right now but what kind of happened in 2019 again in my opinion was we were gifted 
almost perfection. Um, and that's just me being hyperbolic and understandably like, you know, throwing my opinion in there, but it was a long stretch of, you know, picking up any of the titles you wanted, be it new mutants or X force or X men or anything like that. And it was great. It was fun. It was, it was so revitalizing and, and intoxicating. And, um, they've had a lot of like ups and downs since then. There's been a lot of great titles, you know, X-Men red and sins of sinister and all that kind of stuff. But we're kind of in an era called the fall of X Orcus, um, the, evil mean human team they have defeated i'm doing air quotes right now they defeated the x-men and mutants right now and we're dealing with the backlash of that but they're supposedly supposed to be a new rise that's coming and that will then open up into this new world where a new editor is in charge of the x-men and we'll see how that turns out when they when they you know deliver the new titles and the new stuff but it's a good example of kind of what you know the flavor of how readers were feeling a bit before messiah complex you know all to to do a little recap of again what was happening before messiah complex was this there had been no new mutants for two years because of scarlet witch and her you know daddy issues i guess i don't know it's just she kind of you know she got a little out of hand and she she used her chaos magic and she changed the mutant history for forever um and so it we're we've been in a desert and all the x-men have been you know 198 mutants were roughly what was left in a world in the marvel world where there was like millions and millions um and and what happened at the beginning of Messiah Complex is that a new baby was born in Alaska, and everybody wants that baby. Everybody wants that baby. Um, the X-Men, led by Cyclops, they want that baby. It means salvation and new beginnings for their people. They, they're looking to become, you know, they're looking for the win for the mutants, the, the eventual and final, hopefully final win for the mutants. And then you got the Marauders that are led by Sinister, and he's got ulterior motives and they don't fully flesh out what those motives are, but sinister, you can kind of like uh, f- figure it out. He's obsessed with genetic perfection and eugenics and all that kind of stuff. And so in a world where mutants have stopped being made, it's his own, you know, genetic desert. And this new baby that literally, you know, blew up Cerebro uh, or Cerebra. Sorry. We're in the era where it was Cerebra. Um, and it blew that up. Like that's, that's, enticing to uh you know an evil man like mr sinister and then also the purifiers were after the baby they're the racist religious humans with guns that just go i'm gonna be the heel here and they're looking for this baby because new beginnings are a no-no for them for the mutants they're literally demons to them like it is religious to them the purifiers um they think that they are doing a you know a holy you know they're doing holy deeds here by you know, purifying the mutants, which just usually just means shooting them. And then we learned at the end of that halfway point that we covered in last episode, we learned that the other person that was going after them was Cable, or going after the baby was Cable. Cable has always kind of had this messianic uh, kind of theme to himself, his own, uh, you know, his own birth and and growth has it had its own prophecies. He was supposed to be the thing that was take down apocalypse and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there was also a kind of a, a little small subplot antagonist that was looking for this baby, and that's Predator X. Predator X, for the most part, really doesn't play too important of a role in Messiah Complex. However, it does participate in 
complicating the whole ordeal. Um, and it really gives the new X-Men something to do. It gives them somebody to focus on. If the X-Men proper are going after and dealing with like the Marauders, let's say, then the new X-Men, you know, they went and dealt with the Purifiers um, in uh, their earlier issues in Messiah Complex. But in these latter half ones, they get to kind of like, that's their redemption is that they get to deal with Predator X um, or at least be a participant in that whole kind of encounter. And then if you've read ahead, I won't say it yet. We'll, we'll kind of let, let it uh, reveal itself as we get through the issues themselves. There's another party that is seeking this baby. And I love this little additive twist. I This was a turn for a character that I'm sure a lot of people have very uh, hot opinions on, good or bad about it. But I, again... It's hard to surprise X-Men fans, longtime X-Men fans. It's it's hard to figure out new things to do with characters. And I think, in my opinion, Messiah Complex not only did something great and worthwhile with Cable, but this other party member that was looking for this baby, I think it was actually awesome. And that can come from the fact that, like, not only have I read everything that came out after Messiah Complex, which develops this this mystery person a lot into that story, but I'm also living in a post post Messiah Complex world where all of them have had redemptive like stories, and so that person, while having a bit of a naughty streak um, kind of has been able to come back to the fold. Um, something I'm secretly wishing they'll eventually do with the beast right now in X-Men comics. Again, if you're not reading current comics, the beast is not a nice boy um, right now in the comics. He's done some, some naughty things. He's gone a little bit full FBI rogue. Um, and he's, I, I, I've always loved the beast. I, I like, I like almost like all the blue characters, which is funny to say, but like Mystique's like my, one of my favorite girls ever. I love Nightcrawler. I love Beast. He's was so the nineties version of Beast was so great. It, it was so fun. The cartoon version, perfection. Um, and so I'm secretly hoping for a redemption story for him right now because he's gone a little bit off the deep end and I really kind of want to bring him back to the fold. It's been a long time since the Beast has been a real actual a uh, heroic member of the team. And he's he's actually very helpful in this story. During the decimation era, he made it his goal. A lot of I don't think I've talked about this yet, but the beast basically went on this this journey of looking at every possible way to solve the lack of mutants problem. He went to science, he went to, you know, Reed and Tony and Hank and all them. And then he went to even magic with, you know, Dr. Strange and all that. He went to villains. He went to Dr. Doom and the high evolutionary. He was like, he is someone who, and I guess that's kind of like part of his, his development. I kind of now I'm realizing how he got to where he is right now was that he has turned, he turned into someone who, didn't say no to any option as long it was as it was for uh, what he considered an altruistic reason. The greater good is a simplistic way of saying it. Um, and so, yeah, the beast, even in Messiah Complex, he's trying to help. He's he's you know playing nurse. He's really trying to make sure that you know everyone is kept together. And so he's still not in his like his villain era um, in Messiah Complex, which is which is fun to read. But that's that's kind of a recap in case you like you know it's been two weeks and you've forgotten like what we talked talked about and that kind of thing but i want to get into the story and i want to get into talking a little bit about uh, a, a lot about the the main 
plot twist that happens later on. So we're going to kind of probably rush a little bit in there, but I say that now and I'm sure I'll look at my timestamp and all of a sudden I'll have been talking for an hour. Um, uh, by the way, I, I, I haven't gotten to record since people got their Spotify wrapped and I didn't expect anybody to have class of X on their Spotify wrapped. It's such a small podcast that's made for such a niche audience and i appreciate everyone who does tune in and wants to listen to a 39 year old uh old bisexual uh comic book fan talk about the x-men now by himself like i've completely uh, abandoned the whole guest mechanic of the show and that's mostly because it just became an easier gig for me to just to kind of like you know not deal with scheduling people and and not have to worry about you know making sure my guests can um you know do their homework, which was surprisingly hard. A lot of people think like, oh, it must be so nice to have friends come in and do the show with you. And it was, it was great, but it's hard to get, you know, my very, very busy friends out there to read these big, these big stories. These, these are, you know, Messiah Complex is what, 13 issues? And I wanted to cover it, but it's like, ah, how do I get someone to cover 13 issues of a comic with me involving stories and characters they might not understand? So that's why it's kind of evolved into this. And I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the show just kind of being um, old radio talk show style of me just kind of hanging out with you guys and talking about the X-Men. I hope it's enjoying, enjoy, enjoyable for you. And those of you who shared your Spotify wrapped with me and showed that I was on your top podcast, it's like, that's so magical. I love that. That's fantastic. Puts a smile on my face. I'm a happy little nerd and I appreciate it. But uh, let's talk about these comics. And we left off on X-Factor 26. If you don't remember this, Messiah Complex just is whipping back and forth between X-Men and Uncanny X-Men and New X-Men and X-Factor and all that kind of stuff. And so we're at X-Factor 26. And genuinely, if you don't read all these comics, you're not going to get the full story. Sometimes with crossover events, they try to just kind of give, you know, they they touch on the story with each of these titles. But this one was like, it's called X-Factor, but it's not just covering the X-Factor part of the story. Um, in fact, the X-Factor 26 starts off with uh, the X-Men kind of cleaning up after this huge fight that happened with the Sentinels that went rogue because of a nano-Sentinel issue. And it's it's an, it's more of Cyclops and Xavier butting heads. Um, this is unsurprising to some people. It might be surprising to others, again, to see like Cyclops so mean to Professor X, who is... Funny enough, this was like, it's it's great when you can read the comics done this era and you're like, this person is clearly trying to make Professor X look like Patrick Stewart. Um, and it's because the movies made were that. And so it's like, they, they're not even trying to not make it look like him at all. But again, Cyclops is fighting with Professor X and basically kicking him off the campus. He's like, stop talking to me, old man. I'm in charge here. Stop acting like you're in charge. You haven't been for quite a while. And this is understandable, again, because of like the stories we've covered, like Deadly Genesis and even like his involvement with House of M. But this is also, it's worthwhile to bring up the context of Onslaught, which is something that I'm saying that right now. I'm like, we haven't gone over Onslaught. I really want to read through Onslaught and talk about it because frankly, I can't remember how long it's been since I've read through Onslaught and I don't even know if I read through every issue of Onslaught. Onslaught was a massive crossover event that involved the Avengers and Fantastic Four and everybody. And uh, I think that'd be a fun one to cover. Let's go back to, what's that, like mid-90s? I'm I'm a 90s kid and I like the 90s era of X-Men. I know some people don't like that era. I like it. Um, And so, yeah, Cyclops is telling Xavier 
uh, buzz off boomer and then um we do check in on cable who is now specifically running from lady deathstrike and her ninjas who are working with the purifiers they were kind of given some prophecies by uh the leader of the purifiers and so they're they're joining in on this little holy war um and so they're chasing cable through the snow um and then we also check in on predator x and it's kind of a sad scene in x factor 26 with predator x here because basically the writers decided we need to find a mutant that we're okay with predator x killing but let's try to find somebody that at least has some name recognition so it's not just a red shirt it's actually someone that pre-existed but not somebody that the readers would be that upset if they died and it's this mutant called peepers and i, I can't get into like everything about peepers but peepers been around for forever peepers is, is an old mutant as far as like x-men stories and happy ending peepers comes back in krakoa because he gets killed right here by predator x he's gone until 2020 so we're talking like 15 years of no peepers um but peepers comes back and peepers is like welcomed like so much to the fold in krakoa i love it peepers has a good redemption arc as far as like how the writers treated him um we also get to switch over and check in on layla and jamie who are stuck in this future time stream timeline and they're trying to figure out where are all the mutants what is this future why are the mutants all gone and they're kind of setting up a trap to try to kind of like get some guards to be able to um, give them some info there is an interesting moment in this layla and jamie uh moment moment where the guards not the well the policemen the mutant hunting police dudes um are trying to scan layla and she scans as a mutant and sometimes not as a mutant i'll just say this about layla i like layla as a character but clearly there was no consensus on what layla was what she was there to do and what her end game was um i found out recently that she wasn't even the creation of the guy that was writing x factor at this time um which is wild that uh you, peter david uh would use this character a lot extensively but it wasn't even his idea he was kind of gifted layla or told to do layla so there's going to be a lot of times where you're reading X Factor if you guys continue with X Factor, which I suggest you do. And you'd be like, I don't understand Layla. It's because it's you aren't supposed to. She's not understandable because they didn't fully flesh her out. But I still think she's fun. I think she's a fun character. Um, we also uh, tune in on X-Force, who just got reestablished as an actual team at the end of the last issue that we read. And that was a big reason why I wanted to cover Messiah Complex was because this was the rebanding together of a new version of X-Force. X-Force had previously been a cable-led group. And this is when Wolverine takes over and leads X-Force. And so they're on the the hunt they're trying to keep their team together to try to find cable wolverine's dealing with um hotheads like warpath who are have their own previous beef with cable from like their original x-force days um he's utilizing caliban um who eventually gets the scent of the baby um and that's mostly because in a fight with lady deathstrike uh, there's a panel where clearly she uh, like short circuit something that's on his belt and I, i'm assuming that was like a cloaking device that he was using to like cloak him and the baby um, from being found by anybody and so since that's broken Caliban whose mutant's ability is to is to sense and hunt mutants um, makes sense that he's on X-Force for this reason um, he finds the baby and that's how they get the scent and are able to eventually go and head towards where Cable is in these snowy mountains um, Jamie and Layla do get caught um, and they, they, they do it 
not on purpose. They do it because while they're questioning these guards, the technology is so advanced in this timeline that just mentioning the word mutant um, can bring the police down on you. Um, they're really the thought police at this point. And there was a moment where they were like, oh, Layla's this little girl's a human. Uh, is she safe? Is she okay? But Layla like turns herself in because she's she knows sort of what she's supposed to do and she knows she needs to stay with jamie she doesn't know all the answers she knows stuff she doesn't know all stuff but she knows she needs to stay with jamie so she joins him to go to the basically in the internment camps um that where the mutants are just to get their answers because the libraries if you remember have it all deleted they couldn't find any you know answers of where the the, hum, the mutants are and their goal is to get the information and somehow get it back to the past um and so they're they're on the hunt for that that's basically basically X Factor. And then we go to New X-Men 45. And we get a f- fantastic good old-fashioned fight in the snow. A lot of good fights in Messiah Complex. It's so good. I love stories that utilize a lot of the characters because if done right, you get a lot of good interactions with characters that, you know, you're like, oh, what would it be like if this character fought this character? It's kind of like taking your action figures and you're like playing them together. And you're like, ah, Mystique is going to fight Superman. What happens there? Um, that's a terrible example. Superman would just decimate Mystique. Anyways, it's that feeling though. And that's every time that there's these good big old crossover fights in these stories. I, I love it. It's a good action set piece. And we get a good one here because first off we get Wolverine kind of fighting with Yuriko and they have their own old, uh, beef story. Um, where I believe if I remember my X-Men lore correctly, like Yuriko blames Wolverine for killing her father, who's like this I think he was a scientist. Um, anyway, she's like a cyborg, a human cyborg now who, uh, if I think I explained, she's the girl from X Two, the film, um, that is, uh, has the extending fingernails and has adamantium, but we don't just stick with the Wolverine versus Yuriko kind of fight. We get Yuriko versus X 23, um, which is great. Cause that's, that's Wolverine 2.0. Um, and I love X doing like, you know, working Yuriko by like, letting Yuriko get all of her, her lady death strike, get all of her, her licks in. And all the while X 23 is just listening to like her cybernetics and listening for weak spots. And then she finally like short circuits her arm with a swipe of her claws. It's fun. I like it. Um, I like also that they touched on like rain Wolf's Bane, uh, rain Wilson, uh, is like fighting the purifiers and she's noticeably really upset at them because rain has a background in religion. She's raised, raised Catholic. She has a lot of Catholic guilt. Um, and she is still wrestling with her religiousness and the fact that these guys are using God as a reason why they're killing mutants. That's going to noticeably upset her. Um, so there's a little bit of context on why she's bringing that up in the fight. Jamie and Layla in the future, they start getting processed. They're building up to what is clearly going to be a big reveal in this camp. Um, but they're going through a little bit of their like V for vendetta moment of getting shaved and, and ready for the the prison. Um, and then back in the past, um, everyone at the X mansion, is just basically waiting for Elixir to wake up. Everyone's like damaged beat. They got their organs, you know, sitting next to them. And, and while beast is doing everything he can, they're just like, we have this really good healer, but he got knocked out by a building. And so we really need him to wake up. I was reading this and I was like, it's kind of like when you're playing overwatch and your healer keeps dying. You're just like, I, I need you to do one job. I just need you to heal. So if you could just wake up and heal everybody, that'd be fantastic. We would do much better if you could just do that. Um, 
we go back to the snow fight and we you know you saw this coming where they're setting up like warpath's got anger issues and he's really gonna let that get in his way right and yeah sure enough his anger gets the best of him he loses track of what he should be doing in the fight and he pays for it this is one of the very tragic deaths in my opinion um because in Warpath's anger he loses track of you know not getting shot by these purifiers the purifiers aim and fire at him and caliban sacrifices himself to save Warpath, and it is it's tragic i've always liked caliban um he seemed like such a simple-minded but sweet character i even liked what they did with the logan movie he's not exactly the same how he is in the comics and the logan movie but he was still very good steven merchant did a good job um and this this was so sad to me seeing him getting shot up and he was like a death death he did again um this is pre-resurrection eras and and caliban being gone like that means a lot he was a part of x-force previously with cable as well with warpath so this would mean a lot to warpath to see his friend sacrifice himself because of his own stupid mistakes um also speaking of uh you know wanting revenge x23 eventually does get her revenge on lady deathstrike and kind of does it in the name of hellion who if you recall got completely like five fingers stabbed by lady deathstrike in the new x-men comics just previously and hellion's her buddy and she's she's very very upset at lady deathstrike and so this is kind of satisfying to see her finally get her revenge um it all ends with wolverine trying to hunt down cable who's running away from the fight wolverine figures out that cable's been doubling back and cable steals their jet so he uses the x-men's just the x-force's distraction to kind of get proper transportation and there's this great panel near the end of the story that now in a modern era i can make this connection where it feels very much like mandalorian with grogu and i think that's a great metaphor for the like the future of cable with his baby it's very much like that dad and little baby vibe um and it's i think that's such a a a fun little connection um uh, I hope you do too. <laughs> Let's go to X-Men 206 where things are getting very dark with Jamie and Layla. They're, they're shaven, they're processed, they're in jail. And now they've gotten this very recognizable mark. Um, Jamie gets tattooed on his eye with the big old black M symbol. And anyone who's a fan of Bishop immediately is going to recognize what that is. And they're like, oh, we're in that timeline. This tattoo is a lot. This tattoo is is it means a lot to the X-Men fandom. And they even kind of build on it where this tattooist who tattoo artist who's doing this in the jail, like he even says, like, this is written on your DNA. There is nothing you can do to get rid of this tattoo. You will forever be marked and noticeably recognized as a mutant, no matter how passing you think you are. Um they also reference something that's kind of interesting that they tease called the six minute war. They're talking about like how, you know, they're, they're angry at these mutants that they're processing and they're telling them like, yeah, I lost family in the six minute war. It's basically the shot heard around the globe. If there's any people who are uh, privy to world war one uh, history, it's the moment that led to why this timeline is so dark it's the moment that has led to why mutants are where they are right now um and i don't think we fully get the information on what that doesn't is until quite later on but that's the the most simplistic explanation of what that is if you're reading that in the comic that the six minute war was the turning point of why the humans did what they had to do to to achieve the world they are right now in the future timeline back to the present 
Warpath is dealing with being scarred for life by Caliban's death, and, and the X Men now have, uh, you know, they have now have a kind of a general direction at best to look for Cable. They're they're again not in not doing well. They lost Cable. They lost their jet. They don't know where he's headed, but they have a general idea, and so that's all they can go off. But Cyclops, Cyclops kind of has an idea of like maybe where he might be going. So they're kind of going to go off that hunch back at the mansion. Um, Prodigy, fantastic character from the new X-Men era. I love him. To a reminder, Prodigy is actually one of the mutants that actually got demutinized. He's a human, and he's one of the only humans that was allowed to stay on campus because they, they told all the human mutants now to get off campus. They weren't safe anymore, which is what led to that bus attack that I referenced previously where a bunch of them got killed. Prodigy got was allowed to stay there mostly because the Stepford Cuckoos, which are the hive minds uh, telepaths that look like uh, uh, Emma Frost clones, um, and they sort of are, um, they decided that they realized that in Prodigy's brain, Prodigy's original mutant power is that he's able to glean information from anybody he's in proximity with. If he's next to someone who's a nuclear physicist, Prodigy is now a nuclear physicist. And he's able to use that to be a very good leader, a strategist, uh, you know, a, a technician, all that kind of stuff. But when he lost his power, he lost access to all that information. Well, the Stepfords realized that all the information was still in his head and all they had to do was give him access to it. And so they did. And so they made him a little bit of a brainiac by doing that and so he got to stay and become even a teacher i think like a like an adjunct professor at the x-men mansion and so he's fixing cerebra which if you remember got broken by the birth of this baby um and there's some fun interactions in this little part of the story where the the cuckoos make a cute little joke about how they've tried boys and they don't like boys um but prodigy is good and prodigy makes a cute little joke back you know where he's like um well i'm not your type but you're also not my type um which is a sort of a a, a little jab at the fact that prodigy's queer he is bisexual so it's uh, he's it's not that they're completely not his type but uh he makes a little joke about that um of the cuckoos not being his type it's great um Meanwhile, like I said, Cyclops has an idea of what's going on. He's connecting the dots on how similar this whole story feels to his own story with Cable. As a reminder, Cyclops is Cable's father. Um, While Cable looks much older than Cyclops, it's because Cyclops and Jean had to... Jean, who was like surrogate mother to Cable because of Inferno, um, if you don't know what that is, listen to the Inferno episode. Um, But they had to save Cable by sending him to the future, by leaving him in the future because he got infected by this techno-organic virus um, and he wasn't safe. And so Cyclops is making that connection where it's like Cyclops had to do something drastic with his baby in order to save him. And he's like, this feels like Cable's doing the same thing. And Cyclops isn't a dummy and he's putting two and two together and it becomes even more apparent what Cable's going to do when they realize Cable is heading to Forge in Dallas. Um, Forge is the maker. Forge is the one who has access to what? He asked the class. That's right. Time travel equipment. Um, And so they put a general call out to all teammates, no matter where you are, to head to Dallas. And this is how we meet well, not meet, but this is how Bishop really makes his move in this story and beats them to the punch. General call goes out, Bishop acts on it, gets there first. And in Uncanny X-Men 494 is when we officially get a real villain turn for Bishop. Um, Bishop desperately needs to get this baby from Cable. We don't know exactly why, 
but uh, he's trying to, he has his own mission to defeat Cable and get the baby without the consent of the X-Men either. He's on a solo project. Um, but unfortunately, his whole fight gets interrupted by the Marauders with Gambit and such. Um, and Gambit has his own history with all of this. Um, and uh, But he's he, uh, Bishop is able to get the baby because the Marauders come and, and kind of like make this whole thing a kerfuffle. We also kind of jump back to the future haha, um, where we meet baby bishop and the pieces really start coming together of like oh the dark timeline that was a result of what happens at the end of messiah complex is why bishop has his own timeline um but uh, before we get all the details on what that is the x-men do arrive after the marauders have left um the fight with the baby um they managed to get the baby from bishop and bishop is able to kind of change his story and hide his dark motivations because cable's not able to tell the story and the marauders aren't so bishop's like uh yeah i was trying to help and the marauders stole the baby let's let's uh let's go get that baby together teams team teammates um so now everyone's back on a desperate hunt um the cuckoos realize that they can track the marauders in order to help them find where they are Cable is desperate for his final play of like, he's got to get some help in order to figure this all out. So he puts a call into Xavier and clues Xavier into the real story for him, um, which is uh, revealed later. And that's why we will jump to the next issue. We're making good time. We got three more issues to cover. um, And one of those is X factor 27. So we learn what happened in the future without the Messiah Mutants never would have risen up. The six-minute war would have never happened, and Bishop would never have been born into a concentration camp um, and scarred for life as a mutant. And so we realize why Bishop wants this baby. It's not for good reasons. He feels like if he is able to remove this baby from the timeline, he could fix a lot. He could fix his future. Because Cable, because I'm sorry, Bishop has you know investment in the future he has a sister he has friends he has a life and that life could have been better if he had not been basically born in these camps or or been imprisoned in these camps as a as a little kid um so with that information now because they learned this all from baby bishop um Layla full-on day after tomorrow's Jamie and uh, sends him back to the past the only way she knows how because it's a one-way trip. They do not have time travel equipment to head back and she uh, pockets, uh, palms a grenade from a guard and uh, sends uh, the Jamie dupe back. Um, and it's it's a masterstroke. It's a sacrifice. She is now stranded in the future. Jamie, again, they're kind of playing loosey-goosey with Jamie's powers. Um, and so what we're, we're going to play in the space, Jamie dupe is destroyed in the future, dies in the future, comes back to the past, gives proper Jamie, Jamie Prime, all that information. Um, and with a little twist, He's now marked also his, the DNA mark also is a time traveling mark. And now for mysterious reason, Jamie now has the permanent M mark over his um, eyes in proper 616 prime timeline. So we basically now with Bishop and Cable, we have two time travelers who are trying to take matters into their own hands because they don't trust everyone, anyone else to let them do what they need to do 
which they think is for the greater good. Cable for his own greater good and Bishop because he doesn't want his timeline to have to exist. So Bishop needs to kill the baby. Cable needs to hide it in basically the time stream. It's why he was going to forge for the time travel equipment. Um, but now it's time for one of my favorite mutants to play her selfish little hand. Mystique. Mystique has her own motives, as she always does. No one gets to have Mystique's plans. No one gets to be in control of Mystique. Mystique has her own plans, and her plans are often involving his her wife, Destiny, and her child, Rogue. Um, so uh, Mystique's going to play loosey-goosey with that and steal the baby herself. Um, and she's going to do that while the X-Men are have arrived where the Marauders are and are fighting with them. There's a great moment there where the the x-men and x-force are like it's quiet it's too quiet and wolverine like knows they're like well they have people on their team that can create illusions and make us think things and he full-on like he stabby stabs lady mastermind who i'm assuming dies from that um although everyone gets keeps getting stabbed in this story and not dying exactly but i'm pretty sure she's a she's a goner um and so this strikes up another big fight between the x-men and the marauders because the baby's there and they need the baby um so we get to new x-men 46 where mystique uh you know has her own plan she uh gets the baby from sinister by basically using rogue as an off button for sinister like just full-on pushes sinister onto rogue whose powers are out of control will completely sap a person immediately um and she does that with sinister it's genius uh, boss move uh praise this queen um she's operating off of advice from her future sight uh, dead wife um, destiny is dead at this point in the x-men timeline um, and the baby is supposedly what's supposed to bring back rogue who if you recall is catatonic from this like alien virus that she took in that there's just too many too many people like billions of people inside of her um, and so uh, she actually surprises gambit by who thinks like well how's this baby gonna solve rogue does the baby's powers like uh fix rogue and mystique's like something like that and pushes the baby onto rogue's skin in order to uh you know solve it um but nothing happens right away like the rogue doesn't wake up so xavier does manage to get his hands on the child um meanwhile x-force and the marauders they're fighting um you know uh, a, a marauder called scalp hunter which is kind of a problematic name which is why they now modern in modern times call him gray crow um, he tries to take out wolverine um, and there's a fun little moment where x23 makes a comment about how slow wolverine's healing factor is um, there she's a clone of wolverine but a lot of people forget that since she has those metal claws they forget that that's the only metal part of her body um, x23 canonically only has adamantium claws um, in her hands and her feet but the rest of her skeleton is still like normal bone which means that her healing factor has to focus less on constantly healing adamantium poisoning and so her healing factor is even stronger than wolverine's and so she's taking a jab at him because he's weighed down by adamantium Um, and everyone's doing a big fight and there's a lot of murders happening on in this fight um the x-men arrive to help x-force um they bump it up a notch uh, meanwhile surge with the new x-men they get the redemption for the screw up they did with the purifiers begin to lead their group into defeating predator x um and then pixie makes it even all more of a mess by going like i can solve this by teleporting 
everyone like the new X-Men and Predator X to where the main fight is. And so uh, new X-Men 46 just basically ends with like, let's just throw everybody in just one area for one big fight at the end. The Marauders, X-Force, X-Men, new X-Men, Predator X, Cable, Bishop, everybody. And so that leads us to X-Men 207, which is the finale. Cable is fighting Bishop, who then has to fight Predator X. Um, and then Cable gets confronted by his own father, Cyclops. And they have a little bit of a moment where Cyclops pulls a full-on dad card and is just like, give me the baby. And Cable acquiesces. He understands that he's outnumbered. He's outplayed at this point, And he doesn't think he can explain what he needs to. So he finally hands the baby over to Cyclops. Rogue surprisingly wakes up, um, but is understandably mad at mom when she finds out that the reason why she came back is because her mom was willing to sacrifice the first mutant baby that they've had in two years uh, in order to save her daughter, um, which is sweet, but also maybe not the best way to to sacrifice something in order to wake up Rogue. Um, there's a lot of parental issues Uh, parental issues in this story that's the x-men the x-men are just a lot of parental issues um and uh we get you know in this x-men in this comic we get some great fight moments that i can't help but point out pixie stabs omega sentinel with her like soul dagger which again that's another story i'd like to get into of how she got that in inferno not Madeline Pryor Inferno. There's a second Inferno. There's actually been three Infernos, but there's a second one involving magic. Um, M-A-G-I-K, Colossus' sister. Anyways, it's a great moment. Dust manages to take down Omega-level mutant Exodus by basically having him breathe like silicate. Um, And so he's down for the count by Dust masterful i love it this is what i'm talking about when i love when there's matchups and you're like oh exodus is a mega level telekinetic nothing can deal with him um yeah dust can uh, he still has to breathe um wolverine deals with predator x by going full-on guardians of galaxy drax on it if you uh and gets inside of the predator x it's like ah it's soft on the inside we'll deal with it that way um and rogue uh deals with mystique by draining her but not to death it seems like she drains her to death because we're kind of operating us understanding that rogue's powers are fully out of control she actually got because of the baby's touch she actually got a clean slate for the so like it's so sad that she points out that for the first time in years for a moment after she woke up she was actually finally alone with her own thoughts there was no remnants of any other people she'd absorbed or touched in the past in her brain and she got silence and she breaks that with mystique by touching mystique and dropping her um and she basically is like hey gambit i gotta go deal with these issues give me some time um and uh leaves the the party that way um it all kind of culminates with cyclops finally realizing what he has to do that he needs to trust his son cable he puts the pieces back together of like this is what he had to do to save cable he has to trust cable has to do this to save the baby and it leads to one of the most like mind-blowing moments in x-men history i i feel like i need to tell people like these things it's like this wasn't just a small thing this wasn't just like a little thing where it's like oh oops this happened i remember reading this back in the early 2000s or the late 2000s um, the late aughts and being just like flabbergasted when cyclops hands the baby over cyclops hands the baby over to cable cable fades out into the time stream to do what he needs to do bishop can't help but 
play his hand here and and like lowers the facade of him you know wanting to kill the baby and shoots to kill misses because cable fades away from the time stream and just decimates professor xavier in the head with his shots so now it's the the x-men don't have the baby they're trusting it's in cable's hands and where it needs to go and xavier is dead um xavier is gone like this is like you know there's always the rule of like no body no dead no body no death this is body this is death um xavier is down for the count and cable is now on the run and that's how messiah complex ends and leads into so much going on after messiah complex of cable on the run and bishop eventually is chasing him through the time stream it's fantastic messiah complex is so much so much is happening it's written by so many people because they they involved everybody with all these titles but i think it was one of the greatest ways they could end this desert that was the decimation era um you know it's great build up to this this baby and cable and 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 all of these x-men playing their part i'm looking at the numbers of all of the x-men titles and this was actually one of those points where all of the volumes ended at this point and they started everything fresh it's this commonly happens in comic books where they're like all right we're gonna go to new number ones you know volume whatever of this title because now we're in a new era um and i'm glad we finally got to this this is one of the hugest moments and and it's very important if you are an x-men fan and want to be an x-men fan this is a great thing for you to understand and read and enjoy and have fun with because like i said at the beginning of this there are changes that come from messiah complex that reverberate all the way to the crack cohen era um and we wouldn't have what we have if we didn't have this story it's not just a throwaway stuff like some stuff is like yeah that happened but then crack cohen era kind of like soft rebooted and, and negated it but this is not one of those stories this is a real um this is a real pivot you know pivotal point in the x-men history and i hope you enjoyed us covering it or me covering it and i hope you read along and if you didn't please go back and read all the issues enjoy it. it's great stories great artwork great fights great dialogue um and uh, i'm so glad we made it through we made it through two two episodes is what it took but we made it through um i'm excited to to move on to our next story i don't know exactly what our next ones are going to be uh if you have suggestions please let me know you can join us on the discord you can join the patreon that's how this show gets made it's how i pay for all of the expenses of this it's how i make it something that i can keep doing and i appreciate everyone's support um and i look forward to hearing from you guys till next time Uh, Be good, be kind, be brave. Ta-ta for now. Bye.